Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. My buddy Jim Campbell has made an extraordinary side career as an investigative reporter who wrote a book about Bernie Madoff and now is featured prominently in the documentary on Netflix, Madoff the Monster, which you may have had a chance to see. Bernie Madoff, you know, uh, perpetrated a colossal fraud, colossal, and it was considered an affinity fraud in that he mostly tapped his Jewish friends and relations before tapping the rest of the world. And when he turned himself in because he believed he was going to be getting caught, otherwise he wouldn't have done that, it turned the world upside down. And the world has been riveted by the story ever since. Jim Campbell is a, a former colleague of mine on WGCH where he still broadcasts. Hey, Jim, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. My honor, Lisa. You got nice digs here. Nice digs, yeah. they were always nice. It's great to have a microphone no matter where you are. So, Jim, first of all, congrats on your great success with the book and everything else. Thank you. And tell us a little bit about why, well, why you are now one of the go-to authorities on Bernie Madoff. How is that? Well, as you know, or as you may remember, I got very lucky. Um, I was doing a show and um, on a with Lori Sandell, who's a woman who'd written a book about the family kind of upbringing that Andy Madoff, um, the younger son, had cooperated with to a degree. And out of the blue, she says to me, um, you know, we're going to be on tomorrow, your show live. Do you want to talk to off the record to Andrew Madoff? And I'm like, holy cow, you know. I get him on the phone. And by this, at this point, remember, he's talking to nobody. They're the most vilified family in the world. The government's after them. The bankruptcy trustees after them. Everybody, the FBI, um, convinced that they had to be involved. The and sons you're talking the about. The sons, mm-hmm. yeah. So Andrew, uh, I get on the phone with him. I start attacking him right away, and he disarmed me. You know, I, I started off saying, you know, uh, Andrew, your dad gave you three million dollars um, to buy a co-op in the city few months before this thing went down. Don't you think you ought to be giving that money back since it ain't yours? And he disarmed me by saying yes. And uh, went from there. And he said, I'm going to listen to your show tomorrow. And um, if you say what we're saying now, I'm going to talk to you. 
And then the coincidence of number two is that Ruth's mother happened to be moving from Florida to Greenwich, specifically Old Greenwich, where I live. So he set me up with her. She set me up with Bernie. And that's how I became this expert on made-up. I got 400 pages of stuff with Bernie inside his mind. Um, and that led to the book, which then led to the Netflix uh, docuseries, which premiered January 4th. And in the first week was number two in the country in USA Today wow. in TV series. 150 million people will see it. So that's my question, Jim. Okay. Why do we care about Madoff now? Stories, how many years old now? Is it 10 years? How many years has it been? It's been 12 years. 12 years. Um, Why do we well, still care? 14 years. Why I'm are ca- we fascinated with the story? Well, you know, I'll tell you, two, uh, about a month before this came out, right, you may have heard of something called FTX, Crypto Exchange, crashing. Yes, Sam, Samuel what's his name? Samuel Bankman, uh, Bankman Friedman. There we go. Um, and so... People would say, well, geez, how did that happen? $32 billion market value, moved $8 billion of customer money, which, of course, is what Bernie was doing. And so history repeats itself. Except that he claims he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, yeah, except that, um, and we can talk about that if you want. His excuse, basically, is the dog ate the homework. And um, the money just disappeared. Money just dis- I didn't know what was going on. It wasn't on. real. It no. was crypto anyway, Jim. No. And it was being moved into this uh, other business that I knew nothing about. Oh, I own 90 percent of it. And my girlfriend was running it. Uh, oh, and I was taking personal. But it's loans. not real. It's not real money anyway. Jim. Right. So the, the whole point is that um, uh, it's still timely because it, not only was it the first uh, biggest Ponzi scheme in history, but we see history repeating itself. Regulatory failure institutional Wall Street due diligence failure and all of these kinds of things repeat themselves. So it it spiked the interest because I get all these uh, in a lot of these interviews I do. They want to know, is this made off too? is SBF like Bernie? And um, we 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 kind of go from there. I think this story will be big 100 years from now still. You know, when this story came out, it was very personal to me. Because of a few things. Uh, Number one, he was Jewish. And, you know, I don't know what it is, but I've always considered myself an ambassador for Jewish people. And when Jewish people do such terrible things, I sort of feel a reflected shame. I just do. It's 85% a Jewish affinity crime between charities um, and uh, individuals. I mean, he stole money from Elie Wiesel. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not not Jewish. I mean, oh, my God. I got into this enough to see that... Betrayal financially of a Jewish person to another Jewish person or in the Jewish community is sacrilegious. And he had total trust. His nickname was total. the Jewish Jewish T-bill, his full faith obligation right? of the government. Yes. And um, so the betrayal is is incredibly profound. And I'll tell you this. Greg My Zuck- cousin had her money taken away. A lot of, pe- a lot of people did. And Greg Zuckerman is a writer for the Wall Street Journal, very devout Jewish uh, person. And he wrote a blurb for my book. And it was, you know, it goes on the back cover, and it was painful for him because he f- felt a little bit of that shame that you're talking about. Yeah. Even though obviously you have no responsibility <laughs> for it, and are just as outraged, or probably more so uh, than uh, than anybody else. And you know, I have to tell you, Jim, a story. So my dad, um, my dad was uh, in the early 1970s. He was uh, an underwriter on Wall Street. And he had his own company, came in securities. And so he knew a lot, and he he traded his own things. He knew a lot about the stock market. Anyway, in the, I want to say, 80s, had to be the 80s, in Woodmere, which was an enclave of 
uh, the five towns where you had a lot of Jewish people, he was approached to invest with Madoff. And he was told that Madoff at that time wanted $250,000 and that my father should invest with him. And the reason he should invest with him, Jim, is because he guaranteed a 10% return. Yeah. So my father said, I don't understand. How can you guarantee a 10% return? Some years the market doesn't do anything. Exactly. So he never gave him the money. And boy, is he lucky. And yeah, that's what, one of the biggest red flags is Bernie, Bernie literally told you on January 1, your benchmark is 18%, yours is 11 That varied all over the did lot. Did it really? Yep, it did. Oh. His, his big four co-conspirators got 30 or 40, and these poor guys, what I call this a reverse Robin Hood, the average Madoff investor that put money in over 40 years was not a rich person, and he just was you know compounding it. And th- those returns would go to these guys. Wow. Um, so he promised returns. the rich to get richer. The rich, it was reverse. It was, and they, they came to extort Bernie for those returns because they knew that they were propping him up. So it was like oh, a mutual assured destruction. So they were guilty too. Uh, they were definitely guilty. They did not know it was a Ponzi scheme, right. but they knew they were doing stuff that wasn't kosher. So let's talk a little bit, Jim Campbell, about the famous black floor, that crazy floor, and his OCD-ism. <laughs> talk to me about Bernie Madoff, the person, and this crazy floor he had. Yeah. And also his accountants in Rockland County, this crazy thing that happened. Yeah, that guy was a one-man uh, one in, 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 in a strip ball who was not qualified to do external audits and was invested with Bernie. Which is um, obviously a complete conflict of interest. But one of the things that Netflix did really well, and, I, and Joe Berlinger is the director, the number one true crime director, has done Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, Whitey Bulger, did was I'm going to recreate the 19th floor, which is where the legitimate, honest, at one time business was, and the 17th floor. The 17th floor. And it mirrored Bernie's brain as well, because up here he's honest. Leading edge, high technology, top graduates from business schools, and broke the monopoly of the New York Stock Exchange. Down here, same brain, high school graduates, unsophisticated, people he could totally manipulate and would do bad stuff. Also not figuring out what they were really doing. They didn't know it was a Ponzi scheme. And he's running these simultaneously. So Joe recreate, and this floor is OCD. It looks like a Hollywood set. Every uh, ter- uh, terminal screen had to be exactly the same angle. That's what I heard about Only him. black and silver. Um, no papers on your desk at the end of the day. All the picture frames had to be silver and black. Really? Downstairs, um, smoking, file, file cabinets all over the place. These unsophisticated guys that look, it, it looked like two completely different sides minds. of a brain. Sides of a brain, exactly. And if you look at And the, it was the same brain. It was the same brain. It was the same time, too. Because people assumed, oh, he's running this great, honest business and he's trusted. He must have lost a little money. So he goes over here to cheat for a while. We'll run a little Ponzi scheme. We'll make the money back like a gambler thinks he's going to do. Right. Never happens. Right. And then bingo, no one will ever know. But no, he was actually running these the same time from the same period right by each so other. So was the P&L, the profit and loss on the 19th floor, was that genuinely a healthy business if he never had the 17th floor? Would he have been a rich man just on the basis yeah. of the legitimate uh, business? The peak value, of, he was a market maker, a wholesaler, which means he's executing trades for like discount brokers like Schwab. And that business was worth $3 billion at peak. Not enough no, for him. With no Ponzi scheme. Not enough for him. Not enough for him. Yet. Obviously, he you know the reason he couldn't sell it was that the other business was in the same org- the same legal entity, so they, they would have had the 
divulge do, it. Yeah, do yeah, divulge it and do due diligence on it. If he'd been smarter, like SBF, and had all these different entities, <laughs> he might have been able to just sell that. Um, and then, and the Suns, in your opinion, Jim Campbell, did the Suns know about the seventeenth floor? Uh, First of all, they only went to the 17th floor a couple times in the whole period. Uh, it was behind lock and key. They did not have access. Um, yeah, in Chapter 8 of my book, um, they did not know or were complicit in it. Should they have known or asked? They tried to ask questions. He cut them off at the knees. The SEC tried it five times and couldn't yeah, find it. Yeah, that's true. Hey, Bernie used to tell me, Jim, why should my kids know the SEC couldn't find well, it? Well, that's true. That's a good point. And, um, and you're intimidated by your own parents. A lot of kids are still intimidated. And he had this aura about him. He thought he was so important. They worshipped him. Let me tell you something. That intimidation reached all through the firm. He knew exactly how to cut you off at your knees. He also knew how to love you. He paid for um, sudden health problems, honeymoons of everybody, and downstairs, the amount of money were tantamount to bribes. You know, he's, these guys were so overpaid. The right-hand man, who was a high school graduate, at the end was making $4 million bucks a year. Uh, Frank DePascali, um, whose own lawyer called him the Sammy Bull Vagrano, Sammy the Bull Gravano of Madoff. Um, Did he go just, to jail, Frank? You know, this is amazing. He... Um, he turned gov- government's evidence because he would have gone to jail for 100 years. It took years for the government to debrief him and then the trial of the 17th floor guys. And three weeks before. So that whole trial goes. Long, uh, Six-month trial, 15,000-page transcript, which I read. Oh and three weeks before he dies of lung cancer out of the blue, which means your, your, your um, conviction is essentially vacated. Um, the way the legal system works. So, no, he didn't go to jail. But, they, but he um, died. They left him with, I think, $14 uh, in, his, in his pockets. The FBI not only confiscated every dime, his place in um, Jersey, which was built with Ponzi money, they took, he had these koi fish, which are a fancy kind of goldfish. They came and sucked them out of the pond. They took the hubcaps off the cars, so they literally stripped him of everything. They left his wife with about 75000 bucks, and she had dumped him uh, by then. So the boys didn't know, and in fact, if you get inside Bernie's psychology, which I have to be the man, I have to be the right, I never make a mistake, I always deliver what you want, he never would have been able to tell his wife and kids that he was actually had to turn to criminal. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
physical activity to keep the firm going. And you believe Ruth didn't know? I didn't. I believe Ruth didn't know. She knew right before the day before she was. Bernie told her something because she was catatonic in the, in the firm and withdrew ten million bucks, um, which you know he was going to need bail and stuff. So he told her something. Now she told me she knew nothing until that. You know he confessed that afternoon, and um, you know she told me her first question to him was, "What's a Ponzi scheme?" Um, so she did not know she was not involved. Her own sister was wiped out. They were driving and, and her brother-in-law, they were driving a limo to survive in Florida to the airport of people. Let's let's get back in just a moment. Jim Campbell will be right back. I want to find out from you a little bit about the clawing back in the end, how much money was recovered. And for people like Ruth's sister, did they ever get back any of the money they lost? We'll be right back. Jim Campbell on the Lisa Wexler show talking Bernie Madoff. If you're thinking about it, she's talking about it. Join the conversation at 203-333-9422. The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC's 600 AM and 107.3 FM. And welcome back to the show. We're chatting with James Campbell, Jim Campbell, who is really a superb expert on Madoff, having spoken with him and created reams and reams of writing about him and a book. Jim, what's the name of your book? Uh, Madoff Talks, Uncovering the Untold Story Behind the Most Notorious Ponzi Scheme in History. And by the way, I was just in Acapulco keynoting the launch of the Spanish version of the book. That's exciting. It's cool. Are you doing the audio yourself? You know what? I wanted to. Supposedly I have a radio voice. Yes, you do. they wanted an actor. Oh, too bad. We did Secrets of a Jewish Mother years ago. And when I remember. Our, and when our book came out, they weren't do, big doing audiobooks, so we still don't have an audiobook, and we should have our voices on it. You should definitely. We're going to have to independently produce it. We talk about this all the time, Jill and I. We have to do it ourselves. 203-333-9422 if you want to chat with Jim. So, Jim, I want to get back a little bit to the fact that Tell us the story for those who are not familiar with Bernie Madoff. He had a wife, Ruth. He had two sons. It was, it's not an exaggeration to say that it was on the level of a Greek tragedy. Oh, yeah. In terms of what happened to his family. Shakespearean. Shakespearean, right? Yeah. So what happened to his family? Well, um, let me start with the day that this happened. Um, Eleanor Squillary was his right-hand administrative assistant, totally honest. And I saw a high school graduate, knew nothing about it. She made 125000 a year, by the way, with no IRA. Her equivalent downstairs, right-hand administrator, made 678000 had a $58 million IRA. But to get back to the story. So who was Eleanor in this? Who Eleanor she? Squillary. She's one of the heroes in the book and in the, in the Netflix. She's very good. And she literally spent 30 years working for Bernie, worshipped him, loved him. Clearly on the 19th floor, not 19th, on the 17th. 19th, 100% honest. Within one day of the FBI coming in out of the blue, she had said, I'm going to do everything I can for the rest of my life to help the victims and to help the FBI, and she did. Uh, suffering health stress and all that life. But I, I, I love bet. her. We, we're great friends uh, to this day. And um, anyway, she's dry, she is uh, manning the phones the day it goes down, and all the customers are calling, many of whom are old and have lost their entire life savings. It was so stressful for her that she was going into the bathroom and vomiting every 20 minutes. Okay, so she's now driving home, exhausted, 7 at night to Staten Island in a car that, you know, they, um, her daughter Sabrina calls. Sabrina 
is the same age as Mark and Andrew and worked in high school at the front desk as an intern. Bernie's only been arrested a couple of hours. She tells her mother, I know Mark. He's not going to be able to handle this. He's going to kill himself. And two years to the day of the arrest, he killed himself, hung himself. And With so his that, two-year-old in the apartment in and the his apartment wife there. In oh Florida. God. Um, so that's Mark. Andrew had cancer in 2006, and it recurred in 2014. And he had told me. When did he turn himself in, Madoff? Uh, 2008. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, and Andrew had told me. Dad killed my brother quickly, and he's killing me slowly, and he died in 2014. So um, uh, Ruth is without both sons at that point. And, um, I, I noticed that the daughter-in-law changed her name almost immediately. Yes. And, can't blame her. Uh, you can't blame her, although um, she, didn't, she was looking to split with Mark right afterwards. She was kind of a social climber. One of the reasons that he had no support is because of her. Andrew had this woman named Catherine Hooper, brilliant. And to this day, we text and we're friends. And by the way, this is she told me, um, she cooperated. She got me access to people, told me stories about inside the family. She said, Jim, to the depth of my soul, I don't believe Andy knew. But if you find he did, I will accept it. Now, think about that. She doesn't know me from dirt. Totally trusted me. Did not see the book. The only thing way she found out was she watched I was on CBS Sunday morning two days before the book came out and that's when she heard because uh, CBS obviously asked me were, the, were they involved um, so um, so she helped Andy survive and Mark didn't have that support unfortunately. Did Andy have children? Andy did have children uh, from a prior wife, very brilliant kids, uh, Harvard and oh, So um, Ruth has grandchildren. And one of the things by the way that Catherine did was stay in touch with the kids and try to, you know, give them support and that Andy wasn't involved. And um, um, obviously they were shamed uh, as well. Um, I think one of his kids went to Greenwich High or maybe Mark and was actually um, harassed by uh, by kids there. So uh, a very sad that's story. Why, that's why you can understand a parent wanting to change the name of her children. That's what I meant by that. Ruth, Ruth um, actually told me that she considered changing the name. She she was so devastated what he did um, um, to the name. And now we, we're talking about the family. Ruth had been with him since 13, was almost cult-like devoted when this happened. So she had to deprogram herself and, and move away and um, could never let go of him totally. But um, she's tough lady. She's you she's know, alive, I'm, Ruth. I'm alive. She's from. She's living in Greenwich. Um, oh, I thought she was in Broken Sound in, in um, no. Boca. She, she was in um, no. The, she was with her sister. Yeah. And then moved to Greenwich right around the time that um, I started. That I was introduced to the family. That's I it. see. And um, uh, she she had an apartment in the Gables, twenty nine hundred a month, and a dented car, and. Any expense over a hundred bucks, she had to turn to the. She had to submit it to the bankruptcy uh, trustee, and she said, "Jim, I'm from Queens. We gave up eight hundred million bucks, three billion if they'd sold it, and I'm fine with it." She she just went on with her life. She went on with her life. Tough, tough woman. Was she, she does able not dye her hair her... anymore, so you would not recognize her. Would is she able to see her grandchildren? Did the yes. daughters-in-law they stop rec- that? For they, a rec- while? They, they reconciled. reconciled. Oh, that's um, good. And, when she, uh, and brought her back that's in. That's good. Andy was very close to her. But let me tell you though how it ended. Uh, again, I'm not an expert on Jewish custom, but I'm told j- the custom is within 24 hours of death, there's burial in the ground normally. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Because so, we don't embalm. Okay. To this day, 
um, Bernie's ashes are sitting on a lawyer's shelf. The family refused to take them. Well, first of all, cremation is it's, controversial within Jew, but but it's done. It's done. Yeah. But there are some rabbis that will try and talk you out of it. So that's already a thing. But interesting. It is. Nobody wants his ashes. Nobody wants his ashes. Nobody <laughs> wants Bernie's. He died in prison. He died in prison. Let's talk about, you know what I wanted to talk about with you, Jim? I have always felt personally that in a way he got, a, he got off easy because just like he committed this fraud on his own terms, yeah. he stood up to the law on his own terms. He said, I don't, I don't need a trial. I don't need to face all my victims, all my accusers. I'm yours. You want your pound of flesh? I'm ready to go to jail. What more can you do to me? You're not going to kill me. It's theft. And and then, of course, he got arrogant about it, and he started saying, you're getting most of your money back, and da-da-da-da-da. I used to hear that, too. But the bottom line was I felt like, in a way, he escaped justice because of the way in which he turned himself in. You know, um, no one has asked me that before or talked about it because um, it is a brilliant insight. And, in fact, you know, I was on a couple of Fox TV shows, and they'd heard these rumors that the reason he did that pled prison was the mob was trying to kill him because they had money and that can guarantee you that ain't true um and um but um he would say that he pleaded for a couple of reasons um number one that he and his lawyer thought it would kill ruth if she had to go through a long long he didn't care about ruth he didn't care about anybody i don't buy that (laughs) and the second reason he claimed was these guys that blackmailed him, the big four that yes. I told you about, Jeffrey Pickhauer, who took out $7 billion. And he killed himself, too, didn't he? He drowned in his pool in mm-hmm. a, in a uh, having a heart attack. Okay. Um, and Again, okay. Greek, yeah, right? Greek total. And um, Bernie knew that, that they were going to sue the trustee, Pickhauer, for $2.5 billion. Remember, he took out $7 billion. Right. Bernie knew he had money at Goldman Sachs, um, far in excess of that. And he felt... I can be better off pleading, getting uh, my trial over, and go after these guys, sort of reverse blackmail. He hated them, and get more money back from the clawbacks. And it worked. And they, it worked. They got $7 billion out. So that, yeah. that, that's why he said he did it. Um, he also— But he did it on his own terms. He did it completely. That's my point is yes, that— Yes, you're right. You're 100% right. And and exactly right. And that's, what's, and it is, that's why it's such a great question, because— he had to be in control at all That's times. That's my point. Great, con- total control freak. And um, because his lawyer was, was candid, we could have filibustered it like any guy does and delayed the trial of for course. a year and then had a, you know, sure. and then appealed it right. and been out, you know, and um, chose not to do any of that. No. And, he and ne- this way he didn't have to face constant torture right. in the public arena or answer to the feds. Or the particularly the bankruptcy trustee who he hated. So he did it. Yeah, he did it on his own terms, and it allowed him. I to hated black- that he did it on his own terms. A lot of the victims Jim. did too. Yeah, I can tell you. I, I felt like he. I felt like if I had been the judge in that circumstance, I would not have accepted the plea without making him sit through days of testimony from the victims. Yeah, and there were victim statements allowed that day, but that was it. It was ve- nothing. It was yeah. nothing. And, you know, he told me, uh, Lisa, 
you know, Jim, my lawyers tell me I have to express remorse. Now, first off, if you're expressing remorse, that's not a good way to say it. I'm saying it because my lawyers told me <laughs> I have to express it. Well, it's and then within a minute, these people were greedy. Mm-hmm. They were asking for money. I had to deliver. I had to give them these returns. If they lied about their net worth, that's their problem. If they weren't diversified, that's their problem. I did. I built this great business and, you know, was surrounded by the corruption of Wall Street and greed. Oh, yes. And that's how he viewed it. And that's what a narcissist does, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's your fault. So in the end, he really didn't accept much responsibility. That's what you're saying. No, he felt he built an honest business and that he didn't get respect for the fact that it was honest for a lot of years. Um, Are you kidding me? Yes, he was very adamant about he, Lisa, this is delusion. He, this strategy was called split strike conversion. I never found a victim that understood it. Um, even the traders. It it's very simple conceptually, though. But in any event, he would take me through these long diatribes of how it technically worked. And it, it, was, it, was, it was certainly legitimate, blah, 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 blah. And then he'd go, now, Jim, I knew I wasn't doing any real trading. I mean, how delusional. This whole thing works, but he admits he wasn't even doing it. And that's sort of the level. I called it Nixonian. You know, Nixon was just, you know, agonizing and trying to always convey and get his reputation fixed. And Bernie was like that. You know, that's what he wanted to talk about. The business was great. Ultimately, what did he die of, Jim? um, Was it cancer of some kind? He had all kinds of, uh, he had uh, kidney failure kidney primarily. Failure. In but, prison. But in prison. And if, for people that don't think he suffered, his suffering at the end was brutal. He was hallucinating. He was, you know, ranting in pain. Uh, he had a very tough uh, ending. Did he end up um, with Ruth at the end? Did they have their own rapprochement? Did they have their own forgiveness? No. The, the, uh, first of all, he always considered himself still married to her, right? And that nothing had changed. She's the one that had moved away. She had moved away. Jim Campbell, it's brilliant. Thank you so much. The Netflix documentary is still available for everybody to be watching on Madoff. So much fun to chat with you today. Congrats on Loved your it, great Lisa. success. Thank you, Lisa. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.